My voice is a little bit scratchier than normal. Uh, I know I have a scratchy voice in general, but it's a little bit scratchier because I was yelling a lot, uh, calling out the game. So if it uh, is a little bit scratchy and I clear my throat, I do apologize. It's because I was having fun with kids. So, Well, we are continuing in our series on the life of Moses. In fact, we are ending our series on the life of Moses this afternoon, this morning. Uh, and we are looking at the last moments of Moses' life. The title is Lessons from the Last Mountain. We like to look at the other mountains that we, we see in Moses' life, uh, but this one is important for us as well. Uh, when I was a young man, uh, I decided I was going to sled down Mount Nebo. Now, not Mount Nebo in uh, Israel, because I've never been there, but if you've ever been to Pittsburgh on Camp Horn Road, there is a Mount Nebo shopping center. And we can put that picture up there really quickly. Uh, I decided I was going to sled down that mountain. Uh, I was a middle school youth pastor, and I had some crazy middle school youth leaders, and they called me one day. It was a huge snowstorm. Everything was shut down, and they're like, hey, let's drive to Mount Nebo and sled down it. Sounded like a great idea to my 24-year-old self. So we drove up there. We went to the very top, which it was really hard to get up the top because everything was snow-covered. And we took our sleds at the very tippy top, and we went down. Now, one of the things that you need to recognize about this Mount Nebo is if you look at the left-hand side, right next to that left-hand light, it, it looks like the, the mountain continues, but it doesn't. It drops off right into the road. And it's about a seven-foot fall. So we're going down, and uh, my buddy, he's, uh, his name's Dale, and he's skiing down, and he's shouting something at us. He's like, careful, you need to swerve, you need to swerve. Why would I need to swerve? There's, that doesn't make any sense. But then I saw it. And just in the nick of time, I missed the drop-off. Just a little freaked out, but I decided we're going to do it again, but we're going to go to a different part of the mountain. I learned a lesson that day, that if you're going to sled down a mountain that big, you need to figure out the path that you're going to take that's safest first. That was one of the most important rules of sledding down a mountain that I just didn't pay attention to. I was 24, year, 24 years old, reckless, having fun with a couple of friends, and I needed to pay attention to where I was going rather than just going right sometimes we do that we just go and we miss the, the lessons that the mountains in our lives teach us we don't take time to slow down and look at the path we don't take time to reflect and say what does this thing in my life mean and I want to share with you that we're going to look at the last mountain in Moses life and we're going to slow down and we're going to pause because we all need to take time to learn the lessons the Lord has for you and me to learn. We try to blaze through life. And even when it comes to the scripture, we blaze through it. And we don't stop and pause and pay attention to the lessons that we can learn from the lives of biblical characters, biblical heroes, biblical failures, or even the, the, the New Testament portions of scripture that are theologically rich. We don't take time to pause. Often we just blaze through it. But this last mountain in Moses' life, I believe, will teach us five lessons. 
So the question that we're going to ask this morning is what lessons can we learn from Moses' last mountain? What are these five lessons that we can learn from Moses' last mountain? And we're going to begin by reading Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 8, where we experience the last mountain with Moses and his God. Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 8 says this, the word of the Lord. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, where, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. We're going to look at more aspects of this moment in Moses' life and what brought him to this place of not being able to enter the land. We see these different mountains. If you were to look at the life of Moses, he saw the burning bush on a mountain. He received the Ten Commandments on a mountain, and his life ended on a mountain. Often we focus on the first two mountains in Moses' life. Whenever we preach or teach through or slow down, we look at those two mountains, and those are the mountains that get the most press. But I believe that these lessons are important for us on this last mountain. And the first lesson that you and I can see from this last mountain in the life of Moses is the lesson of sin. Because sin always incurs consequences. Sin always incurs consequences. Let's see what brought about Moses' inability to go into the land. In Deuteronomy 3, 26-27, But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over into this Jordan. And Numbers 20, 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I had given to them. Earlier in Numbers 20, we see the reasoning of why they were not allowed to go into the land. There was a moment where Aaron and Moses took the focus off of God and onto themselves. If you have followed through this series, you'll know that the Israelites were whiny little babies. 
The entire time, Moses is taking millions of people through a hot desert, following the presence of God, and they often whine. They built an idol to a golden calf. They just did silly, weird, whacked-out things that you would say, why in the world are you doing this? God showed you miracles in Egypt. He showed you a miracle of spreading the water so you can walk on dry land. What is wrong with you? Well, they're wandering through the wilderness at this point, and they're looking at Moses and saying, Oh, I miss pomegranates. If I just had the the fruit of Egypt, I'd rather be a slave eating this delicious fruit than be here and die. There was water in Egypt. Why are we here with no water? And God said, Speak to the rock, and I will bring forth water. But Moses was angry. He was tired of these babies whining at him all the time. He's like, pomegranates? Really? Pomegranates. That's what you're going to cry about. That's what you're going to fuss about. My goodness. And so he took the the stick and he pounded the rock with it two times because he was so angry. Now, God still brought forth the water, but Moses and Aaron in that time took the focus off of the Lord and put it onto themselves. Warren Wiersbe says this, His attitude, his actions, hitting the rock, and his words were all generated by the flesh and not the spirit, and were intended to glorify him and Aaron and not the Lord. Here's what they said as they hit the rock. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? They were so mad, and they put the focus on themselves. We're the ones who are going to do this. Shall we not do this for you? Stop whining, because we might not. But then they did. And see, the reality is, is in the flesh, they were taking God out of the equation and putting themselves in the equation. Warren Wiersbe continues, In what he did, Moses failed to glorify God. And for that sin, he had to suffer chastening. God in his grace forgives our sins, but God in his government allows our sins to work out their sad consequences in our lives. Remember, sin always incurs consequences, and love allows consequences so we can learn from our sins. Love allows consequences. In our westernized world, that phrase is hard to really grasp. Love allows consequences? Man, I love my kids, and they mess up. I just I tear, take care of it for them. You know, I heard this story of a kid who, uh, he was 18, he had a DUI, and his parents went and paid it all off, and and they were wealthy, and so they they made it all go away. No consequences. And I'm like, why would you do that? Let the kid go to jail for a little bit. Let him learn from his mistakes and his consequences, because that's not love if you try to erase everything and pretend like it didn't happen. Love allows us consequences so we can learn from our sins. And I believe in this moment that love was allowing consequences to Moses so all of Israel could learn from his negative example. Love, in fact, allows consequences. These are important. I know with my kids, sometimes they have an allowance and they want to go and buy something big. So they save up their money and save up their money. 
Well, there was this one time where one of my children saved up their money and then they wasted it all on junk food and McDonald's and all that stuff because they're like, hey, I want to do that, I want to do that. And then they came to the video game that they wanted to buy and they said, Dad, will you just buy it for me? I said, nope. The consequence of you spending all your money is that you have to wait to save more money in order to get that thing. They learned. They learned a lesson in that moment. And it was a powerful one. And they have since saved their money and not wasted it. It's been a powerful thing to see that one consequence teach them something about money. Now, you look at this consequence for Moses and you're like, this seems a little harsh. Moses, who dealt with these whiny, crying babies for 40 years in the desert to lead them to the promised land, doesn't get to go in? That doesn't seem like a good consequence. You know, why couldn't God have done something else, like cut off his hand or whatever? Like, why is it this big consequence that he has to deal with missing out on the land of promise where he has been taking these people and telling them about the beauty of the land and saying, stop whining, the land is going to be great. Why would God allow such a harsh consequence? Alexander McLaren A commentator of old says this, Any offense of Moses cannot be a small offense. It cannot be a small offense. You see, Moses understood Peter Parker's Uncle Ben's words. With great power comes great responsibility. Moses was the one who received the law from God. Moses was the one who was in charge of judging and doling out judgment to those who failed to follow the law. Now imagine if God was like, oh, I'm just going to take it easy on Moses. Well, all the Israelites would say, hey, took it easy on Moses. He was the lawgiver. He was the one. Come on, take it easy on us. Why, Why are you making it so hard and so difficult? But with great power comes great responsibility. The one who was leading those who were who was leading them to the Lord, to the promised land. He took a huge hit, but it was because he was leading them. It was because he was the law in their eyes. God had given him the law. Although scripture reveals that Moses pleaded with the Lord early on after hearing the consequences of his sin. In Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 26, he willingly, in the end, accepted the consequence when the time came. He didn't fight back. He didn't beg God on the mountain of Nebo on the top of Pisgah. He received what God was going to give him. The next lesson that we can learn from the last mountain in Moses' life is the lesson of presence. We need the Lord's presence in our lives. We need the Lord's presence in our lives. Moses, if you look throughout the entirety of his time, Moses, even after finding out he was not going to be going into the promised land, he still pursued the presence of God. He built what was called the temple of God's presence, the tent of God's presence or the tent of meeting. And he would go into the tent of meeting and be with God. He would take time out of his busy schedule 
we see throughout his story that he was the one who had to do all the judging. And then Jethro finally was like, hey, relax, dude. Send, separate this out and give other people the opportunity to judge these small things. Teach them what they need to learn and don't do it all on your own. But even in those busy times, he made time for the presence of the living God. He knew that the very most important part of his calling to lead the people was to rest and be in the presence of the Lord, to hear the Lord's word, to spend time with him. We see that his relationship was a face-to-face relationship with God, powerful, intimate, passionate. And if you are saying, well, how do I enter the presence of God? You can go back a couple of months and, and we talked about rigging of the soul where we see these different ways that you and I can enter into the presence of God. We can read the word of God. We can journal our prayers. We can spend time in prayer. And, and it shouldn't just be these prayers that are like, oh, thank you for this day. Thank you that my dog is still alive. Amen. It should be passionate, pouring out our heart to the Lord and listening to him speak to us as Moses did. He spent time in the presence of the living God. Rob Reamer, a professor at Alliance Theological Seminary, says the one irrepressible need in our life is the presence of God. This was Moses' story. We see in this portion of Scripture in Deuteronomy 34, the Lord showed him all the land. He was with the Lord alone, and the Lord was the one who showed him all the land. I imagine 120-year-old Moses sitting on the rock on the top of Mount Nebo and the presence of God sitting right next to him. And he's on the right-hand side of the presence of God. And there God speaks to him, shows him all the land. I might even see in my mind a little kid just kicking his feet, excited about what God was showing him because he was in the presence of God. I love how one commentator puts it. He says, The beauty of Moses' death lies not in the physical details of his death, but in the fact that he was with God in that hour of transition. He was with God. Powerful. The third lesson is the lesson of grace. God's grace is greater than we can imagine. Matthew 17, 1 through 3 says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Man, this is a mountain in the land of promise. After Moses' death, he went to be with the Lord, and then God allowed him after his death to step on a mountain in the land of promise. God was with him in the end. He did not take his his presence from Moses. He rebuked Moses. Moses obviously repented, otherwise God would not be with him, present among him. God rebuked him, but God did not leave him. God continued to grace him with his presence. He was not able to enter the land while he was alive, but after he was dead, he was put on the mountain with the Son of God, with Elijah, talking with God. This blows my mind. 
This is such a powerful act of grace. God did not have to allow Moses after his death to be on the, the very ground that he was told in life he couldn't see. But then God also showed him the entirety of the land before he died. This is another aspect of grace. He could have kept him back from seeing everything. A.B. Simpson reminds us it was a supernatural vision. No one could have shown it to Moses but God. He literally saw the entirety of the land of promise. Now, if you go on a mountain, you're able to see a lot of land. But if you go on Mount Nebo in Pisgah, you're not going to be able to see everything that was listed in this passage. God gave him a supernatural vision to see the entirety of the land, what God was going to give to the people. And that was an act of grace, a powerful act of grace that God did not have to give. And him being on the mountain in the very land of promise teaches me this. All our rebellion can be redeemed by a gracious God. All our rebellion can be redeemed by a gracious God. Christ died on the cross shed his blood for you and for me because we are naturally rebellious. We are born into sin. We are sinful beings from the very moment of birth, which some people might not like to talk about anymore, but we are. We are naturally sinful and naturally rebellious, so Christ had to die on our behalf. And no matter what your rebellion has been in your life, Christ can and will redeem it if you hand it over. If you confess and repent and give it over to God, whether you've known Jesus or don't know Jesus, He can bring you to salvation. He can bring you to transformation. He can take all of our rebellion and redeem it. Amen? Praise God for that because I'm a mess. I don't know about you. <laughs> the fourth lesson is the lesson of mortality. How we live matters because we will all die one day. How we live matters because we will all die one day. We see the mortality of Moses, one of the greatest heroes of all time, the biblical hero who had a, a wonderful, wonderful ministry, bringing the people to the very doorstep of the promised land, obeying God, spending time in his presence. We see that he died. And that should remind us of our own mortality. It should remind us that we are to live all of life for the Lord because one day, we don't know when it will be, one day we will all die. Jim Elliott, a wonderful missionary, said this, Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. If God has called you, if God has placed you somewhere, live to the hilt. Don't take your foot off of the gas. Don't step back and say, oh, I'm retired, it's done, I've put in my time, I've put in my work, I can just relax and watch everyone else do it. 
Don't be so young and naive in your life thinking, oh, I have a whole lot of life to live. I can just step back and and let everybody else do it. We're called to live life to the hilt. Our lives, the way we live matters. The world is watching when we are transformed by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we live lives to the hilt. The world will notice and say, wow, these Christians aren't lazy. They really do care about the world. They really do care about justice and love and mercy and grace. They really do offer forgiveness when forgiveness is not warranted in the world's mind. We are to live life to the hilt because our lives matter. Moses lived life to the hilt until the day he died. Even at the age of 120, this passage says something very important. It states this, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. He was 120 years old, and he's like, you know what? If you allow me to go in this land, I will take my staff, I will follow your presence, and we will annihilate all the people that are trying to take the land from us. Come on! 120 years old! That's old. None of us will live to be that old because we are frail and weak, but Moses' vigor was unabated. He was probably still the most passionate Israelite to be alive. But here we see that God said it's time. Moses didn't die because he was frail and weak. He died because God said it was his time. And he he obeyed to that. His vigor was unabated. This man was only slowed down because the Lord slowed him down. Moses was ready to keep going, but the Lord said, it's time. Chuck Swindoll says this, the secret of happiness in life is perspective. What is our perspective on life? Are we looking at life as something that we just struggle through? Are we looking at life and saying, my life matters. God has a purpose for me. I was created on purpose for a purpose. When we wander through life and say, oh, my life is purposeless, we fall back into a very Darwinistic view of life. Darwin says that we were just all accidents, so we have no purpose. Whatever we end up doing is whatever we end up doing. I know theologically you don't believe that, but maybe experientially in the way you live your life, is very much like that. God has a purpose for your life, for my life. We were created on purpose for a purpose. That's not in the notes, but you should write that down. It's important. What's your perspective? Point number eight, live life with an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. I think one of the reasons why we slow off the gas a little bit is because we have a temporal view of life, not an eternal view. That you and I, when we live on our purpose, can have an eternal impact on this world. At VBS, we saw six kids come to Christ. Yesterday, I prayed with a woman to receive Christ, and now she wants to be baptized. Man, there is so much purpose for us. We think eternally. That's where we look and say, my life can have an eternal impact. But too often we rest in the temporal. We, like Moses, can lead people to the promised land of not just salvation, but the deeper realities of their inheritance as well. 
When we look at this, this imagery of the promised land, and Joshua brings them across the Jordan into the promised land, we could see that as our sense of salvation, that we have arrived into the heavenlies, that we will now, when we die, we will go to heaven because Christ has saved us. But there's so much more land to conquer than just salvation. Salvation is the very beginning of our Christian life. It's not the, the means to an end. That is where we begin to say, God has something for me to draw others in. There is a deeper life. God's presence is real and powerful and tangible. And I can go deeper in my intimacy with God than just knowing that he saved me. I can know him as my Abba Father. I can know that I'm adopted as a son. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and go into all the world. That is our purpose. That is our call. There is more. Moses saw the more. And I'm sure that God blessed him with all the view of the more because we see it in Scripture. This leads me to my final lesson. The fifth lesson is the lesson of ending well. Seek to run your race in order to fulfill your purpose and finish well. Finish well. This can be a thought as you are a teenager or a thought as an 80-year-old. Looking at your life and saying, I can finish well. If you look at some of the biblical characters, many of them started off really, really good, but ended really, really bad. Moses was one that I believe ended well. Sure, he wasn't able to go into the promised land. Yes, he sinned. Yes, he doubted. Yes, he was fearful of getting up in front of Pharaoh. Yes, all of those excuses that he made. But in the end, he had done what God had called him to do. He had led the people to the promised land. And God said, well done. It's time. And Moses accepted that and ended his life well. Many of us start with that vigor, our foot on the gas, but then somewhere in our relationship with God, we begin to slow up. We relax, we chill. But when we're in the presence of God, we won't want to relax. We'll want to go full tilt. We'll want to put our foot on the gas and end well. Merrill states, this final narrative of the book is overwhelmingly commendatory of Moses. There was no point to underscoring the sin at the end of Deuteronomy 34 that precluded his entry into Canaan, for this would work against the otherwise positive portrayal. God wanted us to see that Moses ended well, that on that mountain he received what God had for him and accepted it was time. What I love about this passage in Hebrew where it says that he, he was by the word of the Lord, it says in this passage, excuse me, Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye undimmed and his vigor unabated. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Some Hebrew commentators will say that it was the breath of God. He died at the breath of God. Now, you might say, well, that's why would God breathe death on him? That's the kiss of death. That's really strange. But if you take the Hebraic view of God's breath, God breathed life and God breathed death because Moses ended well. 
he said, it's time. And by the word of the Lord, he passed. That's an intimate relationship. One where Moses said, okay, it's time for me to be with you in heaven, (laughs) to spend time with you. And then he got to go on the mountain. That's powerful. The Lord's work had been done. Are we living our lives to end well? To finish the race? To start the race? To walk through the race? To run through the race? To end well? Moses' last mountain has a lot to teach us. May we have ears to hear and hearts willing to obey. May we recognize that sin does have consequences and that's not because God doesn't love us. May we recognize His presence is the most important thing of our lives. May we walk in passion and desire living on purpose for the purpose that we were created for. And may we seek to live our lives to end well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Moses' life. We thank you for all the lessons that his life teaches us, and we only scratched the surface in these last four weeks. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that the areas in our life that need to be adjusted to live with the foot on the gas, to live looking to finish well, to live in your presence, to repent and confess of our sins, but willingly still accepting the consequences knowing that there's a lesson to learn. Speak to us in these moments, and may we learn these lessons in your name.